everybody hear me? I think these are working, but they are maybe going to die. So if someone could give me a little comment, if you can hear me, that would be fantastic. Can you hear me? Kayla, hi, can you hear me? Okay, perfect. <laughs> so weird with these because like, it's almost like you're talking to yourself. Um, so this week I'm doing a little Instagram live instead of our usual release of our podcast episode. I'm just going to do like a little kind of ask me anything. I posted a question earlier today on my feed um, and then I also uh, got some listener questions as well that I'm going to go through. Um, I'm just right now, it's my day off. Um, I'm sitting outside Whole Foods Market. Um, my car is being cleaned because I am lazy and refuse to clean my car myself. So it's currently getting cleaned. And I'm basically doing this live, uh, waiting for the car cleaning. So if anybody here has any questions, feel free to um, just type them out. Any questions at all, nothing is off limits. Um, so anything related to vet med, anything just me, if you need to ask about myself, anything about Instagram, um, anything at all, feel free uh, to type the questions. Um, I'll start off with one of the questions that I got asked um, from a listener of the podcast. And the question was, are there any breeds of dogs? that you would not own yourself. So that, um, again, a loaded question. I guess um, in terms of breeds of dogs that as a veterinarian, I wouldn't own myself. Um, those would be the ones that I say that we see the most for health issues. Um, so, and also I guess there's probably some that are just like behavior wise that I might not own. Um, so I think, I've talked before about the fact that while I love Frenchies because they literally have the best personalities and they're so sweet and for the most part just like really nice dogs, um, they do have a lot of health issues, probably the most health issues of any breed that I can think of right now. They have respiratory issues, they have GI issues, they get neurologic issues, they get orthopedic issues. There's pretty much no specialty that they don't need to come see. So Frenchies are a breed that I would absolutely not own uh, by choice unless one followed, uh, unless one fell into my lap um, by being you know, surrendered or something like that. Um, the other breed that I probably wouldn't own is a German Shepherd. Um, they also get a ton of health issues, orthopedic, um, cancerous issues. Um, and from a personality perspective, like for me, I just, I'm not a very athletic person. And I, you know, I do take my dogs out every day to the park, but I just feel like some of those larger breed dogs like Shepherds, I probably wouldn't have the ability to care for in the way that they need to be. Um, same thing with Border Collie, like great dogs. I have no qualms against them, but personally, I think I just need a lazier dog. So I have two small dogs. Um, if I did get a big dog, I would probably get a dog that is known to be like big and lazy. So um, 
despite what you might think, greyhounds actually, especially ones that were on the track, uh, rescue greyhounds can be quite good lazy dogs. Um, and a lot of the really giant breed dogs like um, Danes, wolfhounds, like they can actually make really good lazy dogs. So I like lazy and without health issues. So mixed breed dogs um, probably are the way to go um, if you want less health issues. So that's the first question I got from a listener. I do see that orange, yellow, green, blue, purple did just ask a question. What is the secret to cutting black nails? Uh, I've been doing it for 30 years and it still freaks me out. What do I look for? Yeah, it's hard. Um, both of my dogs have black nails. You can't see the quick. So white nails are easy, you can see the quick. Um, the key with black nails, I'm sure if you've been doing it for 30 years, you know, is just to go slow, um, very small little bits at a time. And basically you're just looking for that center uh, nail bed to get a little bit darker. As soon as it goes from kind of being white to looking a bit dark in the center, that's when you stop. You're always better off to do uh, smaller bits more frequently than doing too much at once because we all know not only does it make you feel so terrible when you hit the quick, but also you don't want to have your dog have, you know, post-traumatic stress from a nail trim. So, um, but again, my technician, my nurse that I work with every day, Danica just joined. She's probably like, why is Dr. Edelman giving advice on nail trims? When was the last time she ever did it? I definitely don't do nail trims very often. And Danica, like, has to do my own two dogs nails because I'm too scared to do them myself so that is uh, my advice is probably not one you'd want to take when it comes to nail trims let's see okay we got a TJDE wolf my dog Kiki has been a frequent flyer lately at Canada West and is doing so good now oh she thinks everyone for the hard work that's awesome. Um, what what did what has Kiki been seen for at Canada West? I'll let him type it out and other and uh, answer another question in the meantime. Let's see. Um, we got another question. My dog's liver enzymes ri uh, rise. Sorry, big truck. Downside to doing a live in a public space. Okay, my dog's liver enzymes rise mildly every year, but doesn't give a reason, but doesn't worry about it. He's 10, but I wanna keep him healthy, so if I can reverse it, I will. So there's a lot of different causes for elevated liver enzymes in dogs. When we see dogs with elevated liver enzymes, we always look at which liver enzymes are elevated. So um, if it's just one liver enzyme and that liver enzyme is ALP, that is a very non-specific liver enzyme. And if the elevation is only mild, it's generally not something we worry about. Um, about 80% of dogs over the age of eight to 10 have a mildly elevated ALP. Now, if it's more moderate or severe, or there are other liver enzymes elevated like ALT or bilirubin, that's something you definitely don't want to ignore. So I would say the, the first step when you do have elevated liver enzymes is to get an ultrasound. Because the first thing you need to see is, you know, what does the liver look like? Is it a normal size? Is it, is it a normal shape? Is it bright? Is it dark? You also want to rule out, you know, are there any masses? What does the gallbladder look like? Is, there any evidence that the bile in the gallbladder is starting to get hard or gelatinous like we see with a mucosal. Um, so definitely I think even for mildly elevated liver enzymes, uh, ultrasound is worthwhile. 
The other thing to consider is dental disease. Dental disease can absolutely lead to mild elevations in ALT. So I know my own dog, Joey, recently had a very mildly elevated ALT and he had a dental and then on recheck, um, his ALT normalized. So that's also another thing to consider. You can have elevated liver enzymes for reasons outside of the liver. Um, so that is a, the generality of liver enzymes. So magnitude, which liver enzymes are elevated and how, uh, and how, for how long, for how frequent. Okay, Sharon asks, do you have any advice for pre-vet students that are trying to get their first vet experience? I would love to start getting experience at a clinic or hospital, but need advice on how or who to ask. Um, so, I know before I got into vet school, when I was technically pre-vet at University of British Columbia, where I am now in Vancouver, um, I had a couple different gigs. So the first was I worked at a, as a vet assistant, so a PCA, like a, a, a vet assistant, not a vet tech, at a private practice uh, called Amherst which is in Vancouver. Um, so a lot of places like that will hire uh, people that don't necessarily have formal training or education um, to work as vet assistants. Like honestly, um, most of what I did was I cleaned up uh, poo, I cleaned up vomit, um, I helped restrain animals, but it's crazy how much you will learn on the job. Also, I think my uh, earbuds just beeped um, to tell me they're low battery. So if you guys stop being able to hear me, someone just please type that. Um, but yeah, volunteering, I would say go for more of the smaller practices would be my advice rather than trying to get in with like a specialty clinic. We generally have much stricter rules about education before hiring people. So all of our uh, patient care assistants, all of our vet assistants have gone through, you know, official programs. So smaller uh vet practices, just reach out to them, let them know who you are. A lot of the times if you start out volunteering is a good way. I, I think I started out volunteering at Amherst and then they offered me a job to come in on weekends when I wasn't in school um, as a more permanent gig. Um, also working in, you know, depending on where you want to get into vet school, uh, a lot of vet schools like to see not just you know, I worked in a small animal practice, but to see that you've done other things as well. So working with large animals, or I personally volunteered at the UBC uh, Large Animal Research Center. And so I worked there um, and kind of worked alongside the scientists. And I basically just was involved in taking care of the animals, so the pigs, um, the bunnies, all sorts of different things. So I think just having that, um, showing that First of all, you're, you have a good variety of experience, but also showing that you're willing to put yourself into situations which maybe are not right up your alley. Like, to be honest, I didn't love um, working at the research center, but I learned a lot, and um, I think it definitely made me a better applicant for vet school. So that would be my answer there. Um, Trying to think of anything else. Probably nothing else that I can think of. Um, and then I saw Kiki was there for IVDD. Oh, that's great. Um, or IVDH, so intervertebral disc herniation. So really common issue in dogs. Uh, my own dog, Joey, had a intervertebral disc herniation when I was in my residency and had to get back surgery. So I've been there myself. Um, I definitely know what it's like. Okay.
you know, feel free to ask questions uh, below, and if not, I'll answer some of the pre-asked ones. Um, okay, I'm planning on doing research. Oh, can you guys still hear me? Yeah, can you guys still hear me? My, I think my headphones just died. Okay, perfect. Um, planning on doing research with a professor on reptiles, uh, specifically salamanders in New Jersey, but I would also love to get experience in general practice. That's really cool. Yeah, so that's a really obviously niche area that you're going into. So I would definitely try and get experience volunteering um, other areas as well. Okay, I'm just going to peek out of here for two seconds just to look at Sorry, I just needed to look at my other question. Um, so, uh, I had a question that was asked, what is the hardest part about becoming a veterinarian? Um, I think that's obviously a complicated question. Um, there's hard parts about becoming a veterinarian and then there's definitely hard parts about becoming a specialist. Uh, vet school's hard, I think that's just a given. Um, you basically, for four years of your life, are focused on uh, studying, not having a social life, and then if you want to do a residency like I did, um, which added another uh, five years to my training, I did two specialty internships and then a three-year residency, that, uh, again, was another five years of my life where I essentially just spent studying and not really having any sort of social life. So uh, there is definitely sacrifices. Um, that you make when you're pursuing a career in veterinary medicine. Also, you know, financially, they really don't pay, uh, I mean, obviously they don't pay vet students, but even as residents compared to human medicine, um, you know, we make a fraction of what they do on the human side. During my residency, I made $24,000 a year, which is really not enough to survive. Um, I There were days where I would go to Trader Joe's and use my card and like it was declined and it was the most embarrassing thing that has ever happened to me. But you know, that's just unfortunately the reality of, you know, being in that type of situation. Um, so that was hard and obviously the amount of debt that you go into to continue to pursue education, I am still paying off that debt. Um, and then I think just, you know, in general, the big thing for me learning is like, I kind of thought after I was done vet school or after I was done um, residency, like suddenly it was going to be like, oh, I have a life and I'm working like a super nice hours. And, you know, that stress of just giving my all to veterinary medicine would go away. And I think probably the hardest struggle for me has been learning like, that's not the case. Like, this is a really hard field it's a difficult field to be in especially right now and I think that um, we really have to learn how to take care of ourselves because it is a job that you could burn yourself out very easily and a job where people expect a lot of you and it's really hard to say no and it's really hard to set boundaries and I have historically sides because I think the sun's coming through. Um, I have historically been very bad at that, um, giving, you know, owners my personal email, etc, etc. And I think that, you know, that's been the biggest challenge for me is uh, learning how to say no and to set boundaries, especially right now in this climate where 
we could easily overextend ourselves for our patients and for our owners. So, um, yeah, and I'm still learning how to do that. So if anyone has tips on setting boundaries, then I think that I will readily accept that because I'm still very bad at it. Yeah, I know. Yes, Marcus, the personal email. I did it in residency all the time, which, um, I mean, I had no life in residency, so whatever, but now I definitely don't do the personal email. It's hard to, because I find on social media, um, because I have a social media preference, uh, presence that a lot of owners will reach out to me on social media. And, you know, it's hard because when they're having an issue, I do want to respond, but it's also difficult because, you know, you don't, you do want to set those boundaries that like, just because I do have a presence on here, that doesn't mean I'm accessible to owners 24 seven. So, um, that's also hard. I think just as a veterinarian or professional online, um, to set those boundaries as well. So I don't know if that was even, I think I totally went on a complete rant about, um, about that. <laughs> and I don't even think that was the original question. So thank you for following my rant. Any other questions? Like feel free. I mean, if there's vets in the room, you guys can ask me medical questions. If there's owners here and you just want to know something like now's your chance. So feel free to ask me. Um, otherwise I'm going to go back to, uh, the, so, okay. I'm going to go back to my question list. So I'm just going to pause for a second. Uh, I got a question about what is the most unusual animal or species that I've ever worked with. Um, so I've worked on lots of exotics, which is super cool. And part of that was because when I was at the University of Tennessee, um, our, we had a really strong zoo specialty uh, that worked alongside us and they consulted with us a lot. And so if a lot of their exotic animals needed scoping, we were generally the ones who did that. So you know, penguins, uh, foxes, all sorts of stuff. But the coolest thing was that there was a uh, large cat sanctuary called Tiger Haven that was very close to us. So they had like over 300 large cats. So lions, tigers, jaguars, uh, all sorts of things. They were all mostly rescues from like private small zoos um, that they weren't being taken care of. So it was a very huge large cat sanctuary and we had a ton of tigers and lions that would come to uh, our clinic. Like you would see, you'd be walking down the hall with a dog and like anesthesia would roll by with a tiger under anesthesia getting its pyo surgery done. So it was like freaking crazy. Um, but because of that, I got to do a lot of scopes on lions and tigers, which was so cool. That was like my favorite thing ever. And I haven't done that since residency. But I do recall um, there was one time I was scoping a lion and the lion was under anesthesia. And because how big they are, even when we used our largest scope, like our colonoscope, I would often have to like put my arm very far into the lion's mouth to be able to utilize the scope to the uh, to the best degree. And I remember I like had my arm in the lion with my shoulder literally like in its mouth. And then I realized that at some point the uh, endotracheal tube uh, was disconnected from the anesthesia tubing. And I apparently, at the time, it was like the student was supposed to be keeping an eye on that. And I think they got distracted and I lost my shit. 
because <laughs> I was like, oh my God, like if that lion woke up, it could have just chopped my arm off, but it didn't. But that was really cool. Um, recently, I've actually worked with uh, Dr. Marty Elena, who's the Vancouver vet, uh, or vet at the Vancouver Aquarium. And we got to work on a, uh, a seal, harbor seal, named uh, Hermes. Uh, you'll probably seen articles about it. Um, it's been quite popular news here in Vancouver who had some kidney stones. Um, and so uh, we did a really cool procedure. I was working with the human urologist and we were scoping this harbor seal and using a really cool new technology called BreakWave to break down the stone. So that was really cool that I got to be part of that. Um, and Marty knows if there's anything cool ever to call me because I love working on exotics too. If I could. If I could do that and still be an internal medicine specialist, that would be amazing. Okay, someone wants to see where I'm at. It's not very exciting. I'm in Vancouver. I'm literally outside of Whole Foods. I'm waiting for my, I started off this by saying I'm waiting for my car to be clean because I'm lazy and get other people to clean my car. <laughs> so I'm doing this live while I'm waiting. Um, and now a stinky car just came next to me. Um, Okay, I want to be a vet when I'm older. Any tips? Uh, yeah, so we talked a little bit about earlier. If you didn't catch it, if you came in a little later, um, feel free to uh, tune in uh, when we post it. And I did talk a little bit about volunteering and things like that. I guess just in terms of like if you're younger and you're not quite in even in university yet, um, the key big things like get good grades. You definitely want to get good grades. It's very competitive. Um, at least in Canada, it's harder to get into vet school than it is to med school. My uh, my counselor at UBC said to me, you should just go to med school. It'll be easier to get into. So that was great advice. Thank you for nothing. Okay. <laughs> uh, but get good grades and then, yeah, get a lot of experience. I think the key is to, like, I guess advice-wise, the key is you can't just love animals. There's a lot of jobs that you can do um, if you love animals. You know, there's lots of different jobs that involve animals. The key is also um, to love medicine and love biology because it isn't enough to just love animals. You have to love the science behind it and you have to love medicine. And I think that's where a lot of people, you know, when they're younger and they say, oh, I want to be a vet when I'm older, you know, most of it is not happy, <laughs> to be honest. You're dealing with sick pets and so a lot of it is um, you know figuring out what's going on and taking care of people oh my god there's these pigeons that are like literally attacking me right now they're like I just felt one brush against my foot um, but you, you have to love medicine so that's that's my advice too so definitely expose yourself to that and make sure that's something you love as well senior in high school but going to vet tech right after high school that's awesome yeah and I think a lot honestly some of the best vets I know started off as technicians. Um, technicians or nurses are an amazing part of our profession. They are extremely undervalued and extremely underpaid and like literally would not be able to survive without them. So that is in and of itself a, a very amazing profession to be a part of and they are literally the glue that holds our profession together. So if you have the ability to interact with any vet techs, um, which are vet nurses, um, then please just show them some love as well. Um, they're so such an important part of, part of the team. 
All right, maybe I'll take one more question before I call it a day because, oh God, the pigeon has entered the seat in front of me, I think. Okay, no, it's fine. We're fine. Okay, one last question. Anybody, it's your shot. Medical, um, vet related. You can even just ask me a personal question. I'm an open book. People at work know I'm an open book. I'm an oversharer, so if you have any questions. Okay, how hard is the final vet test? So in North America, uh, the final vet test is called the NAVLI, the North American Veterinary Licensing Exam. Everyone in North America writes the same test. Um, the test is, in my opinion, kind of silly because as veterinarians, when you graduate vet school, you have to be like proficient in the 12 main species. So that means even if you want to go solely into small animal, you still have to learn about large animal medicine. And I think there's pros and cons to that. And some schools do subspecialize more than others where in your final years, you can what we call track, where you actually, um, you choose a specific area that you wanna focus. So, um, you know, I think that with regards to that final test, if you're tracking small animal and then you have to take this test where you need to know a bunch of stuff about large animal and mixed animal, I think it can be a bit more difficult. My vet school, for better or for worse, I didn't really track. So I was pretty much like, I came out as a mixed animal vet. And so because of that, I think I found the test because it is testing for everything. I, I found it to be, um, you know, not easier, but just like I had already been exposed to all that quite a bit. Um, but there is like programs you can use called Vet prep would be the main one, and I would say that vet prep is uh, a test um, prep course that, if you do it, like it sets you up real good for the NAVLI. So, um, in contrast, my resident, the test I had to take when I finished my internal medicine residency was horrifying, and it still gives me post traumatic stress, and I thought I failed for sure. Um, that test is like a, a three-day test and it's like the worst experience of my life and I don't want to talk about it but I did pass <laughs> but uh, anyone who's taken it probably knows how that how that test feels and it's not fun and a lot of people fail it so um, but yeah no shame if you even if you fail the NAFLI I mean there's a lot of good vets out there who don't pass the NAFLI the first time it's really nothing to be ashamed of it's nothing to you know be worried about so um, I think it's just you know, a it's a test. At the end of the day, it's a test. There are a lot of people that are good test takers and not good vets. So um, just, you know, keep that in mind. I got it. I'm okay. Alrighty. On that note, I think I am going to go and hopefully my car is nice and clean now. And my nephews are coming into town and I think they just arrived at my parents' place and I'm super excited. I have next week off. Um, so I'm taking a little R&R to hang out with my nephews and yeah, super excited. So um, we'll see you next week for the next episode of the podcast. We have some really cool guests coming up. If you're not already uh, following uh, the podcast, it's at podcast TV. I'll write it in here at the end of the chat. Um, that is my uh, that is my podcast. I'm like podcast. No, that's not the word podcast. Um, and you can find us on YouTube. I have links in my bio, um, and then you can also find us on Spotify or Apple, wherever you get your podcasts. So 
now that the sun's back out, I am going to sign off. So thanks, everybody. That was amazing. I hope you guys all have a great day. hope it's as sunny where you are as it is here. Cheers.